Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this next edition of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we turn our attentions to Rachel Paling. Rachel is a professional certified coach. She is a neuroscientist and the director of effective language coaching. How are you today, Rachel? I'm very well, thank you. Very well, Mark. It's going to be great, I think, uh, for me and you to... uh, create a great interview today because we're not strangers to each other we have had interactions on clubhouse and and other social media so i'm hoping that that kind of deepness of connection will enable us to go uh maybe a little deeper than 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 normal what do you think oh fantastic for me depth is life life is depth definitely and i think in, in a world where everything is you know copy paste start official counterfeit it's it's so good to be able to have a, a real life conversation and and people get to eavesdrop it, uh, in today which is always a a great uh, conversation i think now i know that you have a heart for teaching uh, rachel uh, and you love to teach teachers how to teach where where does that come from what is it within your mission now uh, kind of fire started from, I don't know, years ago. Is there a story behind that? I think it's been an organic story. I think, you know, I've been a lifelong learner um, in my mid, well, past the half century mark of life. Um, you know, I've never stopped learning. And I, I actually learned, I would say, back to front. So I left school. You could say I was a school dropout at 16. I went to do my own thing. I went to get married and find the world. And actually, it was my brother-in-law, and I'm eternally grateful to him. At the age of 24, he kept saying, go back to university. Come on. You should study. You should. And I did. And and with his help to get me kick-started, that actually started me um, studying again at the age of 24. And I didn't actually finish until the age of 42. And in all of those sort of years, those early years, my first job was uh, teaching English. And I was teaching English at the age of 17, teaching adults. um, And teaching has been that background, I'm going to say, um, mission of life always. And you know, you know what, Mark, I'm going to tell you also a little secret. You know, when I was a little girl, I used to get my dolls lined up in the playroom and be the teacher for my dolls. <laughs> so it, it even makes me think, oh, my God, <laughs> did I know even at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, that I was going to be a teacher for the rest of my life? It wasn't planned, but maybe subconsciously that was where and how life took me down that road. Yeah, interesting. I'm definitely going to be sharing this one with my sister because she she's been a teacher. She's worked with teachers for a long time, so I think she'll be really fascinated by by this particular podcast. Do you feel like everybody is a teacher, or do you think that you know there is certain people that have that that gift and then that skill? 
Definitely, I think everybody's a teacher. You know, we, we come into life um, learning. So we learn from somebody. Whether they are consciously teaching us or not, there is always something to learn. And then parents are teachers. Brothers and sisters are teachers. Boyfriends, girlfriends are teachers. School teachers are teachers. So we are surrounded by people who are educating, instructing, and showing us the way through life. And the biggest question is, how do people bring us that knowledge? And I think that's where my passion lies. You know, what is it that makes something stick? And what is it that makes us run away and say, I don't want to know about that? And often it's the teacher that is the influencer of what we learn and what we don't learn and life decisions that we take or don't take. Mm. Yeah, they say that the, the, the teacher appears when the student's ready. And they, they also say that we tend to continue to keep getting the same lesson until we pass that test. What would be your, your kind of encouraging words to someone who's noticed that they, they keep having the same lesson show up in their life? I would actually translate it into brain patterns. Definitely, you know, we, uh, in those early years of life, we are subconsciously creating certain patterns, patterns of behavior, patterns of reaction or no reaction. And often we ourselves subconsciously are attracting in those particular scenarios, those particular behaviors from other people, those particular situations that maybe we don't consciously realize we're bringing them in. But through our subconscious behavior, we are. Mm. And the question there is, you know, if there's something that's reoccurring, what is it that is in me that is being attracted in? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. A, a different way of looking at it is something that is our internal response to a situation rather than the situation repeating because we're we're doing something external rather than something internal so that's a, i think that's a good a good point for us to kind of ruminate on uh, i mentioned that you're the director of effective language coaching i know a lot of coaching is about conversations rachel what are some of the best conversations you've had with, with yourself and also others? Um, may I share with you first, it's efficient language coaching, not effective. Efficient, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Effic just, just in case anybody looking for me. <laughs> yeah, that is really important. Efficient language coaching. Yes, thank you. Um, best conversations. Well, I think um, best conversations for each and every one of us is definitely our internal observations of ourselves. And, you know, over the last 10 years, I would say those have been my best dialogues. I think prior to that, they were always external conversations where I was maybe looking to help, looking to find solutions, looking to troubleshoot from outside. And again, you know, it, it is this question of what is it that I can do or what is it that I can be talking to myself about or discovering about myself that's going to then change my external environment? And how can I 
really live my life with that peace, tranquility, and serenity from within, with that equanimity, and not allow anything from the outside to disturb that. Mm. And I think those are really the most powerful conversations. Yeah, with so- other people, definitely there are some phenomenal conversations. And, you know, I totally agree. Let's take that word that you said right at the beginning. When you start to connect with people on a much deeper level and you start to also connect with honesty and truth, which I think actually heart is about depth, honesty and truth, but it might be truth for that person, which may be different for me, but it's the acceptance and the tolerance and the understanding that we're all different. Mm. It is it is amazing, isn't it? The fact that we have um, the ability to determine how we feel about things by how we internalize and, and the story that we tell. I think we're all telling ourselves a narrative throughout the day. You know, we've already touched on on that a little in terms of how, you know, you talked about some of those thought patterns that we have. How how do we go about changing the narrative so that it serves us and, and pla- places in a place of effectiveness rather than a place of being f- or feeling disabled? Firstly, I think the first step is observation of self. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's quite painful to observe ourselves, observe our reactions, observe what's happening to us at certain points of time. Once you start to get into that habit of observing, and, you know, really we're coming into this question of metacognition. So many people talk about metacognition, but actually doing it, it's a, it's a very big step. And I'll never forget once I, I was speaking at a conference and I asked a room full of about 300 people, what's the reason that we don't go more into talking about the brain and what's happening and, you know, how we learn, how we don't. One very brave soul put his hand up and said, because it's scary. Mm. And it is, you know, we terrify ourselves. So that first step of observation might be shocking, might be unpleasant, but it really is that first step. And then once you've got the observation, you're bringing in the awareness. Once you've got the awareness, you can start to bring in different patterns, different behaviors, different thoughts. But it is that constant catching yourself, observing awareness to then the new practice that you're introducing and it's like driving a car you have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep sticking with it and keep going and if it falls don't worry I'll do it the next time and it's the perseverance I think key 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 words in my life have always been perseverance Mm. Mm. such a great word you know perseverance then leads to resilience you know and how many times as kids we used to fall down pick ourselves up fall down, pick ourselves up, fall down and laugh and fall down and whatever. But we would always stand up again. And as adults, we kind of think that we have to be always standing up. And if we fall, we've failed. No, actually, if we fall, we're succeeding because we're finding the way back up again. Mm. There's going to be some really strong people emerging, I think, over the next few years, because I think a lot of us have really had to persevere and have have that resilience and i think it's in the film hitch where he 
they talk about perseverance and like just uh, an unwavering despite obstacle opposition or discouragement it's just you're you're so determined to keep moving forward uh, to keep persevering to, to to keep pushing for what you believe in and you know resilience great book by angela duckworth the the book grit i don't know if you've read that on rachel but really really solid solid book for people to really get into when it comes to when it comes to resi- resilience yeah no i haven't read it actually I, i've heard of it but i i will when i get a a space of time then yes i'll sit down with that one but but you're right and and you're right the last two years it has been essential for people to start to really take control of their brains. Mm. And, you know, when the pandemic really struck, um, I was ready for it. I was, in some ways, I was forewarned because um, in the February before, actually in Spain, we were locked down in March. I visited Panama and as soon as I got out the plane in Panama, they were shooting us with these temperature guns. And that put me, put my brain on alert. I knew there was something happening that was unusual. And for that reason, I, um, sorry, I've got somebody who wants to come up for a cuddle and just to all those podcast listeners, I've got a cat that's just jumped up for a cuddle. So we're cuddling and speaking at the same time. So yes, I was, I was very um, forewarned and from that moment on, my major desire was to reach as many people as possible to understand how the brain functions, learns, reacts, and how to take charge and how to keep the brain healthy. Mm. Because, you know, some of these, these um, measures that we've had have been extremely hard. Um, so solitary confinement. Social distancing, you know, the brain is wired to be humanly connected to other people. So those are the two major, major factors, which for brain health is terrifically horrible. And in those conditions, you know, here we're talking, if you think about solitary confinement, how, how do prisoners who have been pushed into that solitary confinement survive? Yeah. It's interesting you say that, Rachel, because when I did actually pick up COVID, I had to isolate for 10 days by myself. That was way harder than the actual uh, virus itself. You know, for for me, who's so extroverted, and I even had that thought of, I don't know how people in prison do it, because it, it, for me, one of my daily habits is I walk every morning for an hour and 20 minutes, and I couldn't do that. It was, it was brutal, you know, and I'm glad that you're telling us to take care of our brains again, you know, and and I I want to be able to find out from you exactly how, how to do that as well. Like what would be, you know, the best thing that we can do for our brain? Well, um, you've hit upon the first thing that is exercise. Mm. So if we are in a confined space, you know, if it ever happens again, hopefully not, but if it ever happens again, what can we do in that space, which is exercise? And we're talking about aerobic exercise. We're talking about calming exercise. We're talking about different types of exercise. Now, from a lot of the research, we know that aerobic exercise actually does promote neurogenesis, where the brain is able to regenerate brain cells. So aerobic is key. 
we have to have some form of aerobic exercise. That's good brain health. The other sort of thing we need is exercise that's calming, maybe yoga, maybe stretches, maybe Pilates, whatever that is actually then calming that nervous system down. And yoga, definitely, I would say, is one of the best to stretch. It's, it's almost like it's a, an internal massage as well for all of the major organs, which a lot of people think that yoga is just about getting up and doing positions. Actually, no, it's a, a total internal massage. And, you know, we, we talk about the brain, but we, we need to talk about ourselves as a holistic human because the second brain is the gut. We've got the heart as well. And, and brain, heart and gut, we are connected. We're a holistic whole. So it's about the whole system coming into being taken care of. So exercise, physical exercise is key. Mental exercise, absolutely key. So what are we doing to really engage our brains? How are we distracting our brains? What are we learning? What's the new that we're putting in there? I would say learning a language is one of the best things that anybody can do. And the older we get, the more we should be coming into more and more languages because it's like a brain gym constantly so physical exercise mental exercise and then social connections so how can we foster and generate social connections when we're confined and there it's about taking every single means that we have whatever it may be whether it's the telephone the video the zoom whatever we need to be constantly checking in with other people, creating groups and, and voicing, you know, voicing feelings, labeling emotions. Labeling emotions is going to help to neutralize them. You're going to get them from the emotional brain to the rational brain and get people labeling how they're feeling, what's happening, and then get them into troubleshooting. Okay, well, how can you feel better? What's going to make you feel better? And then maybe what are the fun things that we're doing? If we're confined, what could we do that's going to bring fun and enjoyment in some part of the day? Maybe I can get up and dance. Maybe I can just go into a corner and do karaoke or whatever, you know, whatever we can do to bring in that fun and dopamine. So I would say those are the key things, physical exercise, mental exercise, um, definitely socially connecting, even if we can't physically as much as we can, and then finding the fun. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was the best. That's the best uh, I think we've created so far in this interview, because that was really relatable, but also I think really poignant for many people. Uh, in many ways and we we talked at the start about clubhouse being a place that people have dubbed like a, the lockdown app because you know you're talking about that social interaction and obviously you know whether it's zoom or telephone it it did definitely rescue people uh and it also gave me an opportunity to to contribute and also feel a part of something as well um so I can relate to all the things that you said and can understand as well my own struggle during those 10 days of isolation when I couldn't do that physical exercise, I couldn't have the social interaction that I would want. Uh, so they, they're really good. And I think sometimes we have to be proactive and not reactive to 
situations they say prevention is better than cure you know and Absolutely. you're talking about these things and like you said you, you were able to deal with the pandemic because you kind of saw the warning signs before and preempted you know and and i think it's much better now in life if we can be in that place of just being ready for whatever whatever comes our way that's right that's right and i think this is something that you know we haven't really lived through wars we haven't lived through emergency situations some people have you know some people have in their lifetime and just to share with you i did as a child have uh, you know an event that kind of made me understand that one day to the next life can change mm. and i think when your brain is ready for that you you kind of go into preemption quite quickly but if you're not if you've never experienced that it is such a shock it really is and there it's how we, maybe the ones who have or we know or we understand, can really start to say, how can we help? What do you need? And that's, that's the compassion that I think now we're seeing all over the world through this pandemic. Mm. Like you jumping in and saying, right, how can I help? And, and using Clubhouse as your vehicle to, to bring out that compassionate help. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, as we, as we create space for others and we teach and we give the natural byproduct of that is, is we give to ourselves as well. And I love how that, that transaction takes place in it, in an authentic way that the more that we, we give and equip others, we end up giving and equipping ourselves. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, when when we go through life more and more with this experience, we also start to understand that I may give to you, but it doesn't necessarily have to come back from you. Mm. you know, it will come back to me wherever. And that's the beauty of life. You know, that's that unconditional giving where you you definitely receive it back somehow. Yeah, so interesting. Said that I literally said those words last week, uh, and said that we don't always receive from the person that we've given to. We often can receive from from somebody else, and uh, I love that because I think sometimes people get upset. Not that people necessarily give to receive, but sometimes if it isn't if something isn't reciprocated from that particular person, we become bitter rather than actually just trusting the process that it will show up, uh, but not in the way that we, we think it. Now, Rachel, you created the method Neuro Language Coaching. What, it, what, is, it, what is the essence of this method? Um, originally created to bring in a, a new way of delivering language learning. And what we are doing is we are totally transforming the way that we communicate with, with the learner. Um, we're bringing the, the vehicle of coaching, which is the coaching conversations, the ethics, the skills. You know, coaching isn't just about having a chat. It's about really being a skilled professional and bringing in all of those competences. So professional coaching plus the structure from professional coaching. So really getting people into setting their goals, working on them, breaking the language down. So many times people think that learning a language is, oh my God, I've got to learn everything. 
And actually, no, language learning is a process. It's a journey. It's, it takes time. And, and just getting people to break it down step by step and feel the progress along the way, coaching brings in that structure. Mm. From the neuroscience part, we're bringing in how the brain likes to learn, function, functions and, and reacts. And, and, you know, everybody's brain is different. So when we're sitting with a learner, it's going to be for me to find out how you learn. I can tell you how to do it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to resonate with you. And it doesn't mean, mean that you're going to get up and speaking and, and be able to speak the language. And language learning, perhaps together with mathematics, I think is one of the most nerve wracking learning experiences in life because it makes us all very vulnerable, feel very silly. It makes us all feel like a, a two-year-old child again. So it's how to get people beyond themselves to naturally come into that learning process. And most of the time with coaching, it, it becomes that, that two-way co-creation of learning when they have a very calm, receptive brain that is lapping it up and enjoying it along the way. Mm. So that's, in essence, uh, neuro language coaching. Yeah, I think the, the most important is the fact that we all have different learning styles. And uh, I find that a lot of coaches, they, they, they kind of put people into kind of like a funnel and there isn't that, uh, understanding of the different ways in in which we learn and and understand you know what would be your thought on what is the best way to teach others based on their own their own style so um just to to bring in um it's fascinating what you're saying because i totally agree with you i think we do have preferred ways now, the neuroscientists and all of the neuro, let's say, experts are actually saying that learning styles don't exist, that it's a neuro myth, and that definitely we need to have multiple sensory input for better learning impact. Now, I totally agree with that. On the same, uh, let's say, level, I also think we have a preferred way of learning. I do. I'm hearing potentially you do. And my answer would be, Mark, I need to sit down and find out what you like. Mm. So for me, the answers will always come from my learner. And it's going to be for me to find out, okay, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? What have you tried? What have you not tried? How open are you to trying something else? Let's try it and you give me feedback and say, yes, no. And let's then see what is going to be the most effective and efficient, fastest way for you to learn. And if I can find out what those things are, we're going to be doing them. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of, you know, I'm sure you would have heard of uh, Gary Chapman's uh, The Five Love Languages. They're all expressions of love, and yet we all uh, often want to receive love in a, in a particular way. And, you know, it doesn't mean that if somebody gives us uh, one of the love languages that isn't our preferred um receiving method of love it doesn't mean that it isn't love but we all respond more uh, effectively to when our language is spoken and often i often say you've got to speak the language of the person or the people that you you want to attract and so i think your ability to really listen 
And like you said, find out what somebody likes. I think it's paramount to actually getting them to learn that which you want to teach them. Absolutely. And this is where teachers have difficulties because teachers are used to standing there and telling people what to do and saying, I know what's good for you. I always say that we need to be saying, who am I to know what's good for you? Mm. You know that. Yeah, it is. It's, it's having the ability to, to listen. And I, I put out a thought the other day about how we can actually listen with our eyes and, and how often if we just observe and, and, you know, you talked about observation, you know, at the start, you know, of ourselves. And I believe self-awareness for me is one of the keys to, to growth, but also if we really have the ability to, to listen and, and see often, especially in business, if you're smart, you, you literally serve people with that which they, they are lacking or, or need or want or are curious about. Uh, but we get so bogged down with presenting what we think is best that if we have the ability to really just observe, then we put ourselves in a, in a, in a greater place of influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and may I say that I think, you know, that's the sort of skill that's going to be needed to move us into the 21st century. Mm, for sure. For sure. And adapting to the new way that's coming in. Yeah, I think so. I've got a couple of last questions for you before we bring this into land. And, and Rachel, you can share anything that's maybe burning that you haven't had a chance to do but these ones are more kind of like i'm just kind of fascinated uh i know that you studied all over the world i was looking at your resume and you studied in so many different countries you know is there a typical reason for that and and what do you feel that that experience has brought you um They've mostly been European countries, so um, I, I honestly had no plans ever. I had no desire. I'm going to study here or there. It's literally just happened. The experience has, you know, it's opened my mind. And interestingly, where I was studying, you know, when I did my master's in, in Germany and Italy, little did I realize that that was actually going to be the pattern of my life some years later. I would be working in Germany and commuting to Italy. So it was almost like my life has always given me a precursor of what was coming. Mm. And it's almost like, here's your little taster of your life later <laughs> feeling. And uh, very grateful to that, you know. And, and I'm, Steve Jobs was the one that said, you look back and you start connecting the jobs and the, the dots. <laughs> and Sorry, you stop connecting the jobs as well. But I am, I, I can really look back at my life and think, wow, I did this because and now I'm using it. I did this and now it's here. And I did, oh, unbelievable. So I guess it's, I'm just grateful to Providence, to fate, whatever, whoever wants to call it in whatever way. Somehow my life has definitely had joining dots. I just, I was, I'm always fascinated, like, because in, in life, I find that some, 
sometimes we end up with situations which we've intended and we've driven and then others kind of just happen and then we have the beauty to reflect and as you said connecting uh, the dots and seeing how each part played a role in in who you are and, and where you've ended up to now um, but I, I'm always fascinated. Uh, my last question is, in 2003, you qualified as a lawyer. But you I just, did. But you, decided, but you decided to go on a different path. How, how did yeah. you make that choice? Because I think, you know, often, you know, in the early years, it was always, Mark, I don't know what to do with my life. To now it's like, Mark, I've got 10 things that I want to do. Which one do I do? So what what made you qualify as a lawyer and then not take that path at all and go on a totally different direction? And how, how did you make that choice? When I studied law, I actually studied law to go into human rights. So that was my biggest desire to focus on international law, human rights. And I'll never, never forget the, the head of the faculty in, in Sheffield, Sheffield uh, University, he said to me, Rachel, you're choosing the most difficult path in law. Are you aware of that? And at the time, I sort of said, yep, I'm aware, I'm ready. And I did a stage um, in the second year of my studies at university. I, I went to Geneva and I did a stage um, connected with the uh, United Nations. And I saw a lot of what was happening out there in the human rights world. And honestly, it was not pretty. Um, there was more politics than human rights. And, and I think this is one of the, the things that we all know. It's the truth. And the only people that were doing anything and really achieving anything were the ones who were qualified as lawyers. And that was the point where I said to myself, you need to qualify. If you're going to do anything in life, you need to qualify. So I didn't really want to be a commercial lawyer. I wanted to come into law from a totally different perspective. I, I really believe in universal law, human law, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that meant I had to go right the way through the pathway. And it was painful because I didn't enjoy it. And I was two years in a commercial law firm and they were fantastic people. It was phenomenal, but I absolutely did not enjoy it. So for me, the moment where they sort of said to me, hmm, we're not sure if you're really suited for this. It was like, yes, good, I can go. <laughs> and that was my reaction in the interview. And they, they kind of looked at me as if to say, oh, oh, you're okay with it then, you know? And it was a shock for them that I was so happy to kind of be given that license to say, right, go and play in the world. And for me, law has really helped me with my own business. I do most of the legal stuff in, in the business obviously with outside help and uh, consultants around me, but, but definitely it has given me that steady, 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 I'm going to say stability in the background, mm -hmm. but it's also given me that sort of, when I need it, I bring out that side of me, Mark. Mm. Even though I don't like it, sometimes it, it, it's there and it's sometimes needed. Mm. So, no, I'm very grateful for that. But, but yes, it was an interesting journey and, and a painful one along the way. Yeah, I can imagine. Interestingly, like one of the greatest breakthroughs I ever had with a client when I was coaching myself was when I gave them permission. 
when you were talking about how almost they gave you permission to to not do something, it it liberated you. And I do think that uh, there is something there where we have to give permission to ourselves for certain things, but we also need to empower and unlock other people by giving them permission to to not do something, to not be something, to being something, to doing something. You know, and that's really powerful. I think when it comes to uh, the work that we do. Uh, Rachel, been really a great interview today. How, how do people find out more about you and, and connect? Well, they can connect on www.neurohearteducation.com. Um, we've recently founded a, a foundation as well, the Neuro Heart Education Foundation, which we will be uh, steaming ahead with in 2022. And with pleasure, people can contact me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, all of the social media. And if they want to drop me a, a private message on email, info at efficientlanguagecoaching.com. Beautiful. Well, I've really enjoyed our time together today, Rachel, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Mark. Loved every second. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Max Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.